<laughs> the devotional life is not for us to get better. The devotional life is not for me to be a more godly man. The devotional life is not for you to be a more godly woman. The devotional life is for you and I to see and know Jesus. It's all about Jesus. A number of years ago, when that came to a reality in my life, I was so caught up in, in, in being in the ministry and counseling others and being successful, raising resources in the ministry. And then God revealed to me, uh, God is always going to do a deeper work in your life. Never, You'll never get to that point where you can go ah, and rest in Zion. God's in the process of conforming you and I into the very likeness of Christ. And it's not about you and I, folks. It's about Jesus. <laughs> the sooner we learn that, the better it is. It's not about you and I. It's about Jesus. In my counseling, I, st- I tell that to people. They're so I, me, me, I, me, me, all of this. And, and finally, I just say, look, look, give it up. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so we want to uh, look at that uh, this, this morning in this time that, that we have. First of all, let me just start off before we use the, uh, the uh, uh, projector. Bill Bright, we all, most everybody knows Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, he has a, a favorite story that he likes to tell. A number of years ago, when he was visiting his brother in the state of Texas, Bill learned of a person, and some of you might be familiar with this story, uh, he, he got familiar a number of years ago with, uh, with a guy there in, in West Texas, uh, named Ira Yates. Ira Yates was a, uh, a, sh- a sheep herder, sheep rancher in the area. And back in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, his r- ranch, his, uh, uh, sheep ranching was not going well at all. Matter of fact, the Great Depression was, uh, was a burden on, on just about everybody. As a matter of fact, his, he was not able to pay, pay his bills. Uh, he, he owned everything to the bank. The, the bank was really his God because uh, they, they owned everything. He was mortgaged to the hilt. He was unable to make, uh, make his uh, payments and in danger of losing the ranch. As with so many people at that time, he was living on government subsidy uh, just for bare necessities and for the life of himself and his family. And one day, a seismographic crew came in the area representing an oil company. And they said, according to our calculations, Mr. Yates, there's possibility that there's oil on your land. They persuaded him to sign a lease to drill a wildcat well. The company began to drill. No, At 800 feet, no oil. At 900 feet, no oil. At 1,000 feet, no oil. At 1,115 feet, they hit oil. At that period of time, it was the largest oil well hit in America. And it was producing over 80,000 barrels a day. In that day, it was a million dollars a day. (laughs) But they went on not to just find that well but numerous, numerous other wells on his property that proved to be bigger than the first one that was hit. Now, you see, Ira Yates, in poverty, he was walking over a lake of oil, and he was a multi, multi-billionaire. The only problem is he didn't know it. 
<laughs> and you see, uh, all the time as he was walking over this mammoth underground lake of oil, he was living as impoverished, yet he was a multi-billionaire. Now, what was the problem? Well, he didn't know the wealth that was right beneath his feet. This, is a, this, in a very real sense, illustrates the incalculable wealth you and I have in our union with Jesus Christ. At the moment of new birth, you and I have this wealth to draw upon. moved from Lakeland, Florida to Orlando to start the campus ministry work on the five campuses there. And I went, we were going back one weekend to uh, Lakeland to do a wedding and we had a Volkswagen Squareback, I'll never forget this, and we had saved up $400. Now this was back in 1972, man, $400. Wow. And so on the way over there, the Volkswagen had a mind of its own It sucked in a valve and just locked her down. So we had, we were pulled into Lakeland, Florida. They, they, they worked on it and we had a wonderful weekend. We came back out and do you know how much it cost? $400. So on the way home, God and I had a talk. I said, you know, Lord, now I'm glad I had the $400, but you know, Lord, your servant heareth. <laughs> you, you don't have to keep doing these things in my life. I'll pay attention. But you know what? We don't pay attention. 
So he keeps engineering things. And so I think this is so important for us to understand as we begin. Life is meant to bring a succession of discoveries of our need of Christ. And with every discovery, that way is open for a new influx of the supply of his life for whatever the need might be. So notice, here we are on the eternal lifeline, uh, Dr. Solomon's line diagram, infinity past, infinity future. Now, what happens is, is that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But like Ira Yates, if we don't know it, or we grumble and gripe about what happens to us, then we miss great blessings. So here's a person, he is going to, he sees a need, and then he is seeing the need, appropriation, laying claim to our blessings in Christ, he sees Christ as the answer. So God is engineering things in our life to bring us to this point. Now notice that between the need and the fulfillment, there is usually a time gap. And that's where we grow restless. Right? <laughs> we grow restless at that time. But this is a waiting period. It is here we learn to rest and abide. We learn to rest and abide. Now notice, our, respons- our responsibility is to patiently wait on Him during this time for Him to work into our character, our life, that which we have appropriated in Christ. In this instance, what are we to learn? We're to learn about His rest, His steadiness, His assurance, His security, His peace, and His very presence. A God who acts on behalf of the one who waits for Him. Now, this is so far into our society. Even in the church today, as Brother Chuck was saying. You know, uh, we want to be successful. You know what I learned uh, uh, in ministry many years ago? God never called you and I to be successful. He called us to be found faithful. No place in Scripture does He tell us uh, that but to be found faithful. But yet in seminaries today, they're training guys how to be CEOs. Instead of pastors and shepherds, you see. Well, now, these realities of seeing, needing, appropriating, and time brings, bring us from childish meandering into a responsible, specific walk of faith. They take us from the help me attitude to that of giving thanks, from begging to appropriation. And in this matter of Christian development, maturity in Christ, there is no shortcut, no quick and easy way. The Lord builds into the believer that which he intends to minister through him to others. I wish to God they had taught me that really in seminary. Or someone had taught that to me. Uh, To minister life to others, what one does and says must flow from what he is. Brother Chuck was saying that. Who, Who he is in Christ... And we will we'll give this re- these references to you. Okay. So, Ari Yates had everything, but yet he did not know that. Now, what is the wealth that we have in Christ, and how do we draw upon it? This is uh, uh, that is one. Uh, once we know what we have, how do we maintain it and grow ultimately to Christian maturity? Uh, the word teleos, as I said earlier, uh, the word maturity, coming to the morally intended purpose for which we were created, uh, has been something to consume my life in the last ten years. And so it, you'd be amazed how much the word teleos is used in Scripture, uh, coming in, in, the, in the fullness of time, in that teleos, God sent His Son into the world. 
And, and so the, it's, it's, Paul uses it many, many times in his letters. And uh, he was constantly trying to get the church to do what? Grow up. Be mature. So when I go around, I ask pastors this question. Pastor, why hasn't the church of the living God in 2,000 years ever matured? Isn't that a good question? Why hasn't the church... Now, I'm talking about the church universal. I think we're about 10 miles wide and skin deep. Now, how do we know if a person's mature? Let a crisis occur in that life. Let a crisis occur in that family. Let a crisis occur in that church. Let a crisis occur in our nation or in a nation. And then you'll see what comes out. You see, uh, immaturity is a mark of people who do not know God. But the church is full of immature people. It's amazing. Uh, in, in my former churches, you'd have uh, testimony night. And people would get up, and I remember some of these old guys and gals, and they'd say, oh, I came to know sweet Jesus 35 years ago. <laughs> Nothing much has happened since. But they got a testimony way back there. But what did Jesus do for you this morning? He woke you up. <laughs> he had been, he neither slumbers nor sleeps, so he was watching over you all through the night. Protecting you, breathing, giving you air to breathe, loving you, caring for you, having dreams for you. Have you ever gone in and just watched your children sleep? <laughs> or go into your grandchildren? Sometimes when my little uh, granddaughters are sleeping, I can't take my eyes off of them. I literally go in, I would do anything in the world for those kids. <laughs> Just think, we have a Heavenly Father that neither slumbers nor sleeps. He waits on us through the night watches to get up and say, Abba, Father. You see. Well, with this in mind then, I think it's important for us to, by maintaining a, uh, you know, how, how do we grow up into the fullness of Christ? Well, by maintaining a vigorous, healthy, consistent devotional life wherein we place ourselves in the place where the Holy Spirit then can work from Jesus Christ in us and then to mature us into his very likeness. You can... So in your outline, over 2,000 years of church history, there has been a great deal of devotional literature written. Our task today is not to glean through all of those, but to look at some of the good, basic, biblical, exchange life materials uh, that, that, that will help us. Now, it's, it's important uh, uh, for the method of the cross and the great exchange of our life, uh, our life for his life. Now, this could be illustrated by uh, a, a true simple story of a, of a young uh, f a girl that was traveling with her grandmother. Uh, her grandfather worked on the uh, Southern Pacific Railroad, and he could periodically take his family on trips. And so they were going from Knoxville, Tennessee, to Washington, D.C. And so the little granddaughter was kind of surprised uh, when during the daylight, all of a sudden, before this was electricity, that the conductor was coming through and he was lighting all the lamps. And finally she said, Grandmama, why is he lighting all the lamps? It is, it is bright daylight outside. And she said, just wait, dear, and you will see. And so uh, as, as she did that, in a moment of, uh, or two, the train plunged into a long 
deep, dark tunnel. And then the little girl understood the wisdom of the lamp, lamp lighting process. Now, in this same way, God's Word and devotional books are like a lantern. That is, that there's going to be, right now, you know, uh, people say, well, uh, uh, I need God's grace. Or, I don't know if I could go through that. Well, you know what's where we are? We couldn't go through that. But at the moment that we need it, God's grace is sufficient. But one of the things I want to point out is that you, uh, where we make our mistake is while everything is going good, we kind of take God for granted. If we're not a disciplined uh, a, a person of God and we are hiding God's Word in our heart, we're meditating upon God even in the good times. You know, it's hard to learn from God in the good times because there's so much fun. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, sometimes uh, I tell my wife, I, it, it, I get scared because, uh, you know, I'm taking a shower or something or I've just played a round of golf and I just feel so good. I don't have any cuts, I don't have any bruises and, you know, uh, don't have that many, that much pain. And I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen? Am I going to cut myself? I'm going to, do, you know, something. You know, uh, you you get a little fearful. Uh, of course, they say after you're 60 years old, and if something doesn't hurt, then you're dead. So <laughs> you're always glad that something is hurting. Uh, but but anyway, you and I need this time to be alone with God so that we might learn. Because we are going to go through t- difficult times. We're going to go through dark times. We're going to go through very difficult times. And so we need to be ready in those difficult times to learn of God. Now let me ask you, when you have a tough time, do you cry out for God's deliverance or for God's face? You see, a true mature child of God will not cry out for deliverance. But what, Father? What, Father, do you want me to learn here? You see. And in that, we then are prepared for the deep and dark times. Now, in addition, and in the same way, devotional materials and classic readings will have provided you with experiences of thought, excuse me, and patterns for action, which will make straight the path as you are able uh, to to allow the light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Excuse me. Now... Uh, we have prepared a suggestion of uh, biblical uh, uh, biblical bibliography of some devotional materials, writers, pastors, and theologians that, that, that's in the back of your book. Uh, and so you can avail to yourself to those. Now, however, from the very outset, a warning from William Newell through Miles Stanford's Green Letters is in order. Newell says, God has accepted us in his Son. And upon this fact, we must rest our faith. As in justification, our acceptance is by grace alone. Newell reminds us that we have been accepted in Christ, who is our standing. And we praise God for that. We are not on probation. As to our former past life, it does not exist before before God anymore. We died at the cross, and Christ is our life. Grace, Newell says... Once bestowed is not withdrawn, for God knew all the human exegeses beforehand. His actions was independent of them and not dependent upon them. Then Newell continues with a set of statements that I think are fantastic, and they clarify this even more clearly. He says, to believe and to consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. Now let me say that again. To believe... 
And to consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. To refuse to make resolution and vows, for that is to trust the flesh. That everybody makes vows and resolutions, but that is, you know, and then they're, they're broken, uh, be, you know, before the, probably the next month starts. To expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more our lack of worth. To rely on God's chastening, child training, hand as a mark of His kindness. That's hard, isn't it? But He chastens those whom He loves. He chastens those uh, that truly are His children. Here's another statement Newell says, To hope to be better, hence then acceptable, is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. You see, there is no... One of the hardest things for people to learn is there, is there are no good things in your flesh. You cannot be good for Jesus. <laughs> Only Jesus can be good. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. And how many times have I heard, Oh, I know God loves me, but I just can't forgive myself. Excuse me? You have a higher standard than God? <laughs> but a lot of people feel that way. And so, I think this is an important concept. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. To be discouraged is unbelief as to God's purpose and plan for blessing for you. To be proud is to be blind, for we have no standing before God in ourselves. And then I think slide six. Yeah. Uh, it says, to preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law, not grace. And I said this yesterday, I think that's a problem in our church today. We're preaching law to the saved and grace to the lost. Look how wonderful you are. Jesus died for you. Let me tell you folks, that's heresy. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I see, I hear people in counseling all the time. You're so wonderful. Jesus died for you. Man, folks, there was nothing good about us. We were depraved. But yet in God's grace, you see, the, what the law could not do, grace can do. So to preach devotion first. How many times you hear people, oh boy, uh, you know, be, be, be devoted. To preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law, not grace. You see, you and I have been blessed. Now we need to respond to that blessing. The law made man's blessing depend on devotion. Grace confers undeserved, unconditional blessing. Our devotions may follow, but does not always do so in proper measure. And then the next, the, the, the next slide. Yeah. Uh, the, the devotional life is cultivation and preparation for receiving of the implanted word in us in order for God's spirit to work into us what he desires to work out of us in his own honor and glory. <clears throat> the next slide. There are three important elements to develop in our devotional life. First of all, after we have been, after we have seen our possession in Christ, we must then secondly become aware of our need, wherein thirdly, we must give Him the necessary time to work the appropriation, His answer, into our daily lives. Miles Stanford says that this takes on an average of 15 years. And his book, um, The Complete Green Letters, the chapter on time is worth the price of the book. 
He lists a whole bunch of people from Dwight L. Moody to, to Ruth Paxson. Uh, uh, I can't even remember all the names. There's a whole paragraph of names. Great men and women of God. And uh, Hudson Taylor, Praying Hyde. <clears throat> but it took them on an average of after they were into their ministry, an average of 15 years to come to see that Christ was their all in all. Hudson Taylor. <clears throat> it wasn't until after, and he's the first one we that I know of that used the term exchange life in a letter to his sister. I think, uh, John, you've got that in some of our material, I think. Uh, Hudson Taylor's kind of testimony along that line. And uh, what he lost his wife and one of his children, I think it was. And uh, he was struggling in the uh, creating the Inland China Mission. After he came to the end of himself and understood the exchange life, the, the ministry exploded. Uh, in, in, into fulfillment. So, does God have to do those kind of things in our life? No, I think we can be obedient. I think, I, I'm trying to learn over the years in my life how to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I was a baby of five, and we said that our dad had the fastest belt <clears throat> east of the Mississippi River. In other words, he could grab you in an Indian handlock like this and take off his belt and pull it out all at, all at the same time. I don't know how he did it. I've practiced that and I still can't do it. <clears throat> but dad, what I found out was that he would grab us and all the boys, all of us, no daddy, no daddy, we're trying to get away. And boy, that old, that old belt would come across. And you know what I learned? The further I, wa I was away, the more that thing stung. Woo. You know, the end of that belt <laughs> popping out there. <clears throat> now what I learned really is true story. What I learned was if I got in trouble, I learned to just run to my daddy and grab him around the legs like this. Say, no, daddy, no, daddy. You know what I learned? It's hard to whip somebody like this. <laughs> and so I've learned in my life, if boy, I start to doubt, worry, discourage, be tempted. I run to the father and wrap my arms around him say, no, daddy, no, daddy. <laughs> you see, I think we've got to learn in our devotional life how to not only get close to Jesus, but stay close to him. For example, here's a here's another beautiful uh, concept. Remember when Jesus was in the garden, and he went in uh, the night uh, the Gethsemane before the cross, and he took some of his disciples. And when they went inside the garden, he left the larger band right there to pray for him. Then he took the inner band, Peter, James, and John, went a little further in the garden, and said, "Watch and pray." And then Jesus went on further and wept like tears of blood, or sweated like tears of blood. And he would get up, and he would come back, and he would say, and they'd be asleep. He said, can't you wait one hour? You know, watch and pray. And he would go back. Well, now let's look at this whole uh, scenario. What was happening? Here was Jesus alone, then the three, Peter, James, and John, then the larger band. Outside was the murderous mob coming to get him. Now, just think with me. The further away you are from Jesus, the larger the crowd. The closer you get to Jesus, the smaller the crowd. There's not a long line waiting at the cross to come and die. But there's where the power is. Remember when they came to get Jesus? He said, you don't take my life. I lay it down. And he just looked at them. And I think the Shekinah glory just flew, uh, th flowed through him for a moment and he just knocked him down. 
I don't know about you, but I need that Shekinah glory in my life on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. And I need to learn how not to just store it up, but just to let Him be Jesus. You know, we don't have to store it up. Now, I think memorizing God's Word, and Brother John has some good stuff on memorization uh, uh, verses for the exchange life. And, and I think that's powerful because there's moments when, when, when I'm in need and, and I just need to be able to, to, to call upon that. Well, simply stated, the devotional life then is that place where we are quiet before our Father while He affirms our identification with Jesus Christ and thereby reveals our position, possession, and privilege in Christ. His side is the provision, Jehovah Jireh. Our side is the receiving, the yieldedness, and obedience as the Christ life is formed in us. So you and I, what is our point? We need to show up. I, I, I've, I've said it, but it, I know it's kind of cute, but it's serious. I tell my people to get up every morning, show up at the foot of the cross, and shut up. You see, we, we need to, to, to be there so that He can do that work uh, in our life. And it is that quiet place <clears throat> that our that our that our identity, his identity, our being, his being, who we are in Christ is secured and assured. It is an obedience and service that his life is manifested and reflected to the world. Therefore, I think it is imperative as a believer that we practice daily in our lives <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in our soul and body, we're to practice in our in our daily life what and who we already are in Christ. And so that's what I was saying yesterday, is that in my, my, my daily discipleship is the daily practice of bringing into conformity in my soul, mind, willing, emotion, who I already am in Christ Jesus. But I need to be there and to allow Him to do that. <coughs> we, <coughs> there are two aspects to the devotional walk. The message and methodology. First, we will continue to discuss the message, and that is the content, and then we want to look at the method. There are many excellent tools available. And so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at some of those. Now, first of all, my, personally, I would like to recommend to you my first choice, my favorite, is <clears throat> None But the Hungry Heart by Miles Stanford. The information is there, is there for you. Uh, where you can write. Mike, uh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Mike and Donna Dole, uh, have taken over, uh, the materials of Dr., uh, I mean, of, of Miles, of Miles Stanford. And so here's the post office, uh, or you can call them by phone, uh, and this is excellent material. Is the next slide coming up? <clears throat> yeah, he's got everything of Miles on CD-ROM now. Uh, it's called None But the Hungry Heart. And the way it's set up is that, like this is February, and so that's February the 7th, uh, we grow to share, and then February the, uh, the, the, uh, the 8th. So in other words, he has, he has on, on one page, he'll have three devotions. And you can come up and look, I got all these devotional books up there. And, uh, this to me is the most powerful daily devotional life to in, to build in to our lives what we what, what what we're teaching, and that is the the exchange life, and uh, what I do is you ought to see my copy. Uh, now my copy is a smaller one than this. He finally made it the full eight and a half by eleven, 
And in here are all these deeper life writers. He's got a, he's got a, a reference. Uh, you, you'll see JB, JBS. Well, that's JB Stoney. <laughs> and I've got all of JB Stoney's works. There's 13 volumes. Got it from England. Because he's always quoting JBS. JBS. So I said, well, who is this JBS? And his, uh, so his name is JB Stoney. <clears throat> My namesake. So that's the reason I like it. Uh, the initials and names are all listed. Uh, Brother John shared one the other day on A, uh, uh, AT, uh, A, uh, I mean, T. Austin Sparks. Man, T. Austin Sparks, he, he wrote, wrote over 60 books. I've, I've now got all of his completed works. And they are just wonderful. But Miles Stanford did nothing for 60 years but read the Deeper Life writers and, and get quotes. So the devotion each day is a scripture... And then he'll write the first paragraph, and then everything else is quotes. Watchman Nee, Andrew Murray, uh, J- John Darby, uh, William Kelly, uh, people that I'd never heard of <laughs> until I got into this. Yes? When did he live? Miles, uh, uh, let's see, he just died a, a few years ago. Uh, he lived from 1914 to 1999. <clears throat> uh, I had a lot of fun with, with Miles. Because Miles still believes in the two natures, and so uh, then, but he and Chuck were really close out there in Denver, Colorado, and so he didn't like this at all of uh, the two of uh, the only the one nature, and so over the years uh, we developed close friendship. I got to meet him out there and spend time with him when I'd go out to see Chuck and the training out there, and it was always fun to go between Chuck and and and, and Miles Stanford. And so over the years, though, until uh, a few years ago, I had a large Southern Baptist church in St. Louis, Missouri. And so I would call, I don't know if Chuck knows this, I would call him up and I'd say, Hey, Miles, uh, this is Stoney in St. Louis, Missouri. And he would always do this. Is this that young man that's the pastor of that Adamic monolithic machine known as the Southern Baptist Convention? <laughs> <laughs> and we were called the Adamic Monolithic Machine. I said, Miles, somebody has to be leading people to Jesus. You, you, you five-point Calvinists just think it's already done, you know. And so <clears throat> we would have a, a lot of fun together. But I think I and I asked I, I asked Miles one time. I said, Miles, because uh, I said, where was the old man? And he said, now, Stony. I said, no, no, you answer my question. I, you, I've always uh, listened to you. Where was the old man? The old man had to be in the spirit. We had a human spirit, but we did not have Zoe, the life of God. Now, something got crucified. As far as I know, I'm still here. I have a body. My soul wasn't crucified, you you know, because it's still alive. Crucifixion means death. There was only one place it could happen, spiritually, in the old man, the old woman was crucified. Uh, You ought to ask Dr. Solomon sometime at a break about his conversation with Jay Adams about that. (laughs) And yet, a lot of these people that hammers uh, Dr. Solomon uh, are are buddies with with Jay Adams. Jay Adams is simply a Christian behaviorist, you see. You do this, here's the Word of God, you do this, and everything. But uh, I'll let Chuck uh, uh, share share that with you. Okay, next... uh, uh, my second recommendation is God's Best Secrets by, uh, by, uh, where is it? <laughs> by Andrew Murray. God's Best Secrets. Uh, here you will just have a diet 
over and over again. Uh, he'll he'll uh, have the theme at the top, and then he also has scripture, and uh, it, you can uh, you can teach almost straight from uh, Andrew Murray stuff. It's deeper life, Christ's life, our life in Christ, His life in us. It's unbelievable. I read this. I had uh, probably my first three years in the exchange life. I did this year after year for for, for first three years, and because I didn't know about the the complete green letters. And so, uh, God's best secrets by Andrew Murray. I got to see over in South Africa where Andrew Murray wrote all of his stuff, and uh, his house, and on the back porch. But then we were told he didn't write it. And oh man, I thought, oh no, you know. But what he did, he dictated, he dictated it to his daughters. And so, can you imagine, to, I don't know if you've ever read any of Andrew Murray. If you, boy, if you're not a reader of Andrew Murray, you got to. But his devotional, God's Best Secret, is just fantastic. Yes. No, 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 he does. He sees body, soul, and spirit. He's a trichotomist. Well, he believes in two natures. He believes you can have an old nature and a new nature, you know, the white dog, the black dog, and they're fighting it out and everything. See, now don't get us wrong. Uh, what we're, there's still a civil war going on inside of us, but it's, it's spirit and flesh. But not the old man. The old, the old pro, uh, programmer was, was crucified. Now, if we yield to that remembrance of him, needless to say, we're going to go right down, uh, right down the same path. No, Miles, Miles is, uh, matter of fact, you read Miles and, and, and he says everything that, that we say, but he still, uh, but a lot of people still believe in the two natures. We're, you're, it's rare to find some, you know, uh, I, I, we have Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, and we go head to head. And they say they believe it, but it's not yet. And I said, so I'm still in charge. Jesus saved me, but now I gotta do it. I gotta sanctify myself. No, but that really Covenant theology almost teaches that. Yes, Chuck? Does he? Oh yeah, he's gonna, <laughs> that's right. He knows better now. Doggone it, I had that wrong. But you read his stuff and you can't tell it very much. You really can't. Because he says the old man has died and he's on the cross. But the whole idea is we got to keep the old man on the cross. You see. Well, the only problem with that is you and I can't do that. It's already been done. So we, by faith then, we believe in that. What's already been done for us. No. You won't be confused. Not if you know this. If you know the truth, then you're not going to be confused by anything else. <laughs> no, I would recommend it highly, but, um, you know, I, you, you won't be confused. Just remember that the old man died. <laughs> yeah, that's why I like Chuck's stuff. He defines his, ter- his terms. Uh, in, your, in your materials is, is the definition of terms. Man familiarized himself with that. I tell Chuck all the time, I think we do that wrong. I think that ought to be one of the prerequisites that that should be sent out to everybody coming to a conference, say, you read over this, you study over this, so that when they come, their minds are that way. So, okay, the next one uh, is, uh, my third choice is Daily in Christ by Neil Anderson, published by Harvest House. Uh, Daily in Christ is, is, uh, is some good stuff.
uh, I, I like Joan's prayer. His wife, at the end of each uh, devotion, she did the prayers. And sometimes these prayers are so neat. I write them down all the time and try to uh, when, I, when I'm using this devotion. Uh, but it's a lot of good stuff about the exchange life. You will even find in there he quotes Dr. Solomon, but he doesn't put quotes around it. But <laughs> uh, I, I've challenged Neil on that. But now I hear he says, somebody told me that he says that he did read your stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, Martin from over in uh, somewhere in Tennessee Counseling Center, uh, he was here last year. Anyway, uh, but he'll use terms like toggle switch. That's right out of Dr. Solomon's stuff. But it is a good devotional. And so what I'm, we're talking about a variety of ones because I hear all the time, well, my devotion, uh, my devotional life gets a little dry. Well, read somebody else, you see, and, and all. What I like to do with all of these devotions is then to myself retitle it. Uh, Miles Stanford, Andrew Murray, all of these in their books, I then go back and retitle it and write in a sentence what I think they're saying. And so when I need a devotion or a sermon, I can just thumb through, thumb through, and if it catches my eye, that's what this devotion said to me. So I think we should always say, reading the Word of God or devotional book, what did God say to me and what did I say to God? I do that in every one of our devotions. Okay? My fourth recommendation is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Probably more people are familiar with that one than, than, than anything else. Uh, and so it, it is a, uh, I have it up here on the table if you want to come and look at it. But there again, it's just one of these good uh, devotional guides that help us to understand and build in. I like what Dr. Solomon said this morning about homework and about input. Listen, if we don't get and even in our own life, if we're not memorizing, hiding God's Word in our heart, if we're not daily saturating ourselves with this concept of grace, uh, then, then let me tell you, it is uh, our lives are going to suffer. And if you're counseling, discipling someone else in ministry, then you need to be constantly having input. Now, the people you're working with, they need to constantly have new input. I remember we, uh, I, as a pastor over the years, I could train you in about ten different ways to share your testimony. Now, but I came to realize that in a, unless a person is having a daily quiet time with God, you're not going to witness. It's amazing. Uh, if this witnessing program doesn't work, we get another one. We get another one. We get another one. But you know what? If you fall in love with Jesus every day, you can't help but talk about Him, you see. And so the, uh, the, the importance of the daily life, uh, or daily quiet time. And, and so uh, the, any of this material we can use, I, as Chuck said, I use a lot of this material. I give assignments. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Now, if you want the book, uh, you can buy it, but if not, don't write in it. But this next week, I want you to take these, these seven devotion uh, thoughts and everything. Because we've got to get input into people's life. And so when we were doing EE, Evangelism, Evangelism Explosion, it's still the best way I've ever learned to share my faith. The only problem is, I came to realize that we are asking someone, that we're three people sitting in their living room after a 30-minute presentation to make the most important decision they've ever made in their life. And so what I, what I, what I found was that a lot of people would pray the prayer, but then they wouldn't show up. <laughs> 
but I think God blesses you because you've, you've been you, you've been found faithful. But what I'm saying is, until people get content, I think we've got it backwards. You know, Charles Finney, he would preach the stars down and preach the guts out of people so much that they would cry out to be saved. And then there was a mourner's bench, and if Finney could talk you out of it, then you weren't saved. <laughs> It's not like today. Hey, come forward. If you didn't kiss your wife, good morning. Raise your hand. If you kicked your dog, raise your hand. All you that raised your hands, come forward, you know. Now, those are great invitations. And our evangelists do it all the time. And so what is happening is, uh, I think we have a lot of poor births. And we wonder why they... Tomorrow. But that which the Holy Spirit does in their life is there. And, and I, 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 I haven't been here all week, but Chuck usually says this. He says that, you know, he has so many people that go out and the Holy Spirit, uh, has, uh, counseling with his people, uh, w- without them being in his office. <laughs> and they come back in and they've already had an experience with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to get this content. I want to fill myself constantly. I want to be overflowing. And not digging down in the barrel to try to find something, but just the overflowing life. And in counseling, that's what it is. It it, it is no agenda. I love Chuck saying that this morning. I get excited with every person I counsel because I have no clue what's going to happen. Except I know if I get them to the cross, they're going to die. Except Christ's life and all their symptoms will be gone. That's what I know. But I don't know how it's going to take place each time. Okay, uh, the next slide, Brother John. My fifth choice is An Exciting New Life by Andrew Murray. <laughs> I thought I had it here. I guess I left it in the, uh, in the room. Uh, the Exciting New Life, this is the new uh, edition. It's called The New Life. Uh, I forget the various titles that's had, but this is the newest one. An Exciting New Life. And uh, it's uh, Andrew Murray did this one <clears throat> as well, that he at his period of time, he couldn't find anything for new believers. This is well I, I know I say <laughs> I, I don't know how I rated these but uh, this is so important and so uh, it's 52 chapters for 52 weeks of the year uh, brother Chuck and I was talking about this yesterday he said what if a pastor got up and preached one of those every week and had his people then in small groups dealing with it you'll notice and there maybe the next one slide um, yeah the new life he starts off with scripture and then he, uh, uh, his first paragraph, everything he says here, there's a Roman, I mean, there's a number one. And then at the end of the chapter, there's about three or four verses or sets of scripture that will, that will back up everything that's said here. And then notice here in one line, this new life is nothing less than eternal life. Roman, I mean, uh, footnote number two. In the back, at the end of the chapter, there's none but scriptures to back up just that statement. It is, it is powerful. Uh, it's for new Christian, but I found out that most Christians don't know this. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a powerful book. Okay. Yes. I have a question. Uh, how does, how does the, all this literature complement the Word of God? Like, when somebody say the Word of God is enough? Well, sure. I, I don't hear us saying that, uh, uh, man, the Word of God is what you, you need to, you need to f- have your roots deep into. Uh, but uh, most people growing, most people that are on their process of growing to fullness, uh, need need to uh, hear how other people say it. Uh, why have commentaries? Uh, well, 
I think that you can go take the Word of God, and we believe in the priesthood of the believer, and that the Holy Spirit will give you you give you insight and interpretation. But it's helpful to have those that have gone before us, like a good book, uh, uh, What the Bible is All About by Henrietta Mears. Now, in seminary, I wouldn't have dared let anybody know I'd even had that book. But now I use Henrietta Mears all the time because she gives insights and uh, she sees Jesus in every book of the Bible. And so that enriches my life. And so, no, don't have... So I say, every one of these devotions has Scripture. Every one of these, and just like I said here, he makes one statement, and then there's about four scripture references that will back up the statement right there in the back of the book. So, yes, Chuck? One book I didn't hear you mention, uh, is the best of That's a good one. The best of Tozier is, uh, it's just readings, uh, readings, uh, of, yeah. If you're familiar with any of Tozier's writings. But, uh, but, but that's good. Okay. And at the end he has prayers, uh, and then he has study notes, and then here's all the text notes that uh, said that, that he gives you. So there's more scriptures there than you can ever deal with. <clears throat> but now here again, uh, uh, a new life, uh, yeah, they're all in, they're all in your notes. Uh, we're just following this exciting new life. Um, now here again, be careful. Do not make your devotional study, uh, your, your devotional life a study time. More people kill their quiet time because they get in and they pray for all the missionaries. They pray for everybody. Uh, you cannot do that. You don't, I don't know a lot of people that have that much time, even as a pastor. My devotional time is a time for me <clears throat> to get quiet before Jesus. Quiet before the Lord. <clears throat> he speaks to me, I speak to him. And, uh, and so, then do your study time and deep prayer time another time. Okay? Now, if you have time to do it, if you have, if you can get up and give it an hour, two hours. I remember when I first was trying to get into this, cause I just got that high academic uh, training, and, uh, I'd read Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said that he had so much to do, that if he didn't get up and spend the first two or three hours in prayer, he couldn't get everything done. And I remember, I'd get up and, and, and boy, I'd get my devotional stuff and go into the bathroom and sit on the throne. No, I mean the toilet. And, uh, and at, at five o'clock in the morning, I was gonna, boy, I was taking the kingdom by storm. And about a half an hour later, I found myself, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I had, it's a, something you have to learn how to do. But when you realize it is the most important thing that you do, and let me tell you, and I've had people say, Pastor, I'm sorry, I just don't have enough time. I'm too busy to have a quiet time. Then you know what? You're too busy. You're too busy. Yes. What about having this time together with your wife? I think that's fine. Robbie and I do not do that. She has her quiet time. I have my quiet time. And then we pray uh, to start the day. <clears throat> and then we pray at night. <clears throat> we have a good time at night. <clears throat> uh, uh, I think it's very important for men and wives to have a prayer time together. Robbie likes to read different things. If I tried to force her, Robbie, my wife is a is a historical novelist, uh, a writer. I mean, reader and writer. And uh, I kid her all the time. I said, "Honey, why don't you read something that's real? <laughs> you know, like Miles Stanford or Chuck Solomon." 
she'll say, I'll get around to it. <laughs> but, uh, but she likes things differently. So, uh, now when we had kids, we did. We had the daily bread. We pulled it out and somebody would read the verse. We'd talk about it and those kind of things. But you need an intimate time with God. And men, let me tell you, and maybe you know this already, but if uh, our wives need to see that we go off and get alone and get our leading from God the Father. If my wife knows that I am getting my leadership from God the Father, she never has resisted. You see? And then it teaches me how to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. See, I need that time to get alone and let God talk, talk to me. Uh, but then it's neat to pray. Matter of fact, why is it so important for a man to pray in front of his wife? <clears throat> I think the number one reason is because our wives hear our heart. I tell you, if you want to get intimacy with your wife, spend time, let her hear you pray. Well, it's a powerful time. Uh, the, the next one is the uh, secrets to the spirit, to spiritual power. I went down to the book, the big book place last night down on the strip. And uh, normally they have this here there for about four ninety nine. <laughs> I buy up every copy they have, so they don't have any more right now. But uh, at four ninety nine, uh, this man Sentinel Cup got in cult, got into the deeper life, and uh, he was hungering and thirsting. And so someone said, "You need to read. Uh, you need to read Watchman Nee." So he got so caught up in the Watchman Nee and the deeper life and everything that this is all sixty. Of Watchman Nee's books, there's 60 chapters here, and they're all Watchman. It's they're synopsis of every one of his books. Some of them only a page long. Normal normal Christian life is several pages long, but it's a synopsis. And I guarantee you, <laughs> you you're not going to finish this in a year. <laughs> but if you want some, and just a minute, I can read one paragraph of this synopsis of the normal Christian life, and I can just sit there for an hour. Letting, letting. Uh, he was uh, in China back in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. 50, was it? And uh, he was ultimately martyred or he was killed. But he was a brilliant young man. He came to... Now, I don't know if I would recommend every one of, of Watchman Nee's books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but like the normal Christian life is a, is a primer in the in the deeper life. Uh, matter of fact, the first time I read the normal Christian life, I had to put it down. I said, "Man, if this is normal, I'm abnormal." <laughs> and I and I thought I had the world by the tail and a downhill pull. But anyway, it, it it's it's good material. All right, real quick, we need to. There there are the all sixty of. Uh, is uh, this choice is Into His Presence by Dr. Charles Stanley. Now, Dr. Stanley is putting out uh, quite a few devotional books, I guess about one a year now. But he has one chapter every, I mean, he has one month every year that he deals with the exchange life. Like in this one, uh, Into His Presence, it's in April, Your Inheritance and Identity in Christ. Now, the rest of the material is good, too. It deals with spiritual warfare, things of this nature. But once uh, one month out of the year, he will deal with 
And I've seen several of his new ones coming out. And it's, it, I think it's almost April every year he deals with the exchange life, our identity in Christ. Is he, Dr. Stanley? Okay. I need to wrap this up, so let's just zip on through some of these, and you can come up and, and, and look at them, John. There, there, yeah. Uh, your inheritance and identity in Christ, okay? My eighth one would be Life's Ultimate Privilege by Deverne Fromke from Sure Foundations. Uh, it is a 15-day devotional goat to that one, John, if it'll... Uh, and what it does, the reason I want you to see this, it, it's, it's a 15 day journal. I, I ran it into, I ran it into three months, <laughs> uh, dealing with it. Because what it does, it, it, it makes statements, scripture and everything, prayer requests, insights from the lesson, and the date, uh, answered and, and that kind of a thing. It, so it's a real good book. The ninth place would be One Day at a Time, a devotional for overcomers by Neil T. Anderson and Mike and Julia Quarles from Regal House. And here again, it's, uh, uh, it, I forget how many days it takes to go through it, but it's built a lot around the things that set us free, uh, in Christ, all the, from various bondages and everything. There again, journal and all I get. My tenth is the, uh, my choice is walking in freedom. It's a 21 day devotional to help establish your freedom in Christ. I've started using this with some of our, uh, I say ours, Dr. Solomon's materials, uh, on helping a person, uh, really get set free. Uh, so in other words, when people go out of our offices, we want them to know the answer, but then we want them to be established, built up, rooted into the, into the truth. And so it's a 21-day devotional. Here again, it gives you uh, places to write. Uh, and then what's really good is every three days, there's a freedom refresher. Freedom refresher. Freedom refresher. And it's, again, it refreshes you on your freedom in Christ, your identity in Christ. And so it's, it's a good guide. Freedom refreshers. Eleventh is recommended, uh, uh, Knowing God the Father. Uh, it's, it's a book by Peter Lord. And he's done, he's doing now, uh, um, uh, knowing God the Father, knowing God the Son, and knowing God the Holy Spirit. And there's through, uh, go ahead, John. <clears throat> That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's got two pages, and it, what's so good about this is for new Christians, it'll lead you through. Uh, daily, uh, uh, day one spiritual exercise, praise. It'll say, uh, repeat this phrase, uh, three times out loud. Go ahead on the other side. So this is the page on this side. This is the page on the other side. You got places for notes on the side. We did this, uh, I do a thing every year. I preach devotionally in January on the, on the, on the deeper life and on having a daily quiet time. Then in February, we have a theme, I will seek thee with my whole heart. We put up the banners and everything. Uh, and so the first Sunday in February, uh, I've done this for the last 10 years, we have a commitment to have a daily quiet time with God. It's one of the most powerful things I think I do in my church. So I preach devotionally in January. Then in February, and we did this, the entire church does the same thing for 30 days. Sometimes we extract some of Dr. Solomon's material, sometimes uh, Andrew Murray, Watchman Nee, Miles Stanford, uh, and then people can, two things. What did God say to me? What did I say to God? 
and uh, we make up our own devotional things. But we used this one this year, and it just blessed our people immensely. So this next year, we're going to do the one on, G- on Jesus. Okay? And now, additional literature that would enhance your growth in living your identity in Christ. Of course, Dr. Charles Solomon, Handbook to Happiness in You, A Spiritual Clinic in the Back, and I think that's in some of your notes too, is a whole list of books for devotion, for uh, for deeper study, and some of the things. Familiarize, familiarize yourself with that so that you can assign these things. I'm not kidding you. More people... I think, get changed by getting the new concepts. We give them the track to run on, but then they can learn and grow themselves. And they come back in sometimes so fired up and and so excited. And I've seen people think they knew it, then they thought they knew it, and then they came in and said, oh my God, (laughs) they really see it. Uh, one, One example of this is we had a lady came to us. She had come through... Uh, two of the main Christian organizations, counseling agencies in America. I won't mention their names, but they, they're good. They do some good things. But she had spent $35,000 in insurance money. When she came to St. Louis, she was almost living on the streets. She had been diagnosed by a psychiatrist who I know and who I would recommend. He, he, we worked together. But he had diagnosed her as having to come to see him at least two or three times a week and be in a recovery group for the rest of her life. In three weeks, using what you've been taught this week, this lady was miraculously set free. She's a big gal, and she was at the front of my desk, and she's a banger. You know, people that bang on this. And so the third week, I thought literally she was going to climb up on my desk. She said, Pastor, if this is true, and I believe it is, then everything has changed. God has miraculously set her free. She lives, uh, got her own apartment, job. Uh, it's just, it's just unbelievable. If you had seen her then and saw her now, and let me tell you, she was really abused. We found that out. I checked this out with her family in New York, and it was, it was horrible. I can't, I cannot see how other people, especially relatives, can do some of the things that they do. Unbelievable. And and now, there were some root problems that she had after that. We would really, literally go over her. She would have guests at night, spiritual guests. Uh, uh, and, and she would actually uh, experience physically again. And I think the demons can do this. Uh, but then we cleansed, cleansed her house and everything. But anyway, make a long story short, she was radically set free in three weeks. She went back a month later to her recovery group and told them what had happened to her. And you know what they said? They said, you're in denial. And she said, well, if this be n- denial, then viva la denial. <laughs> Long live denial and everything. Uh, and, and, and so and she hasn't gone back to have to see the psychiatrist again or, or anything. Now, that was only through the power of God. Now, since then, has she grown? You bet she has. And she's used, uh, used a lot of this material. Uh, uh, other books, Madame Guyon, uh, if you're not familiar with her, uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, Fenelon, Let Go, this is great. This is Let Go get, to Get Peace and Real Joy and then The Seeking Heart. And Molinas, The Spiritual Guide, I would really recommend. Molinas was really maligned. You know, a lot of people back then knew the exchange life. The only problem is they was killed. They were killed for it. <laughs> and then Manford Haller, uh, he's new. Uh, he lives in uh, Adelsville, uh, about 30 minutes from Peter Fry. 
Peter Fryer, a friend of ours in the ministry, and he has written a book, Christ as All in All. I recommend this highly.